Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love you to open it now to Proverbs chapter 2. As I mentioned in the last episode, the structure of the book of Proverbs is reasonably straightforward. There's a short preamble in chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, followed by 12 poems about wisdom, which run through to the end of chapter 9. Following that, we have a variety of secondary sources or collections, some attributed to Solomon and some to others. Here in chapter 2, we're looking at the third of those 12 introductory poems. This one comes to us in the voice of the Father. Now, of course, poems can be difficult to translate. The basic content is easy enough to deal with, but some of the nuance and emphasis that is communicated through poetic form can be lost in translation, and we experience some of that here. This entire chapter in the original Hebrew is laid out in an alphabetic way. It's it's a form of alphabetic poem. It consists of one very long sentence made up of various stanzas. It is alphabetic in the sense that the first three stanzas, after the opening address, all begin with the letter Aleph, with the answering three stanzas, all beginning with the Hebrew letter Lamed. So when you see verses in English starting with if and then, those are translating Hebrew words that start with Aleph. And then when you see verses starting with to, as in to deliver you, and so you, you are seeing the translation of Hebrew words starting with Lamed. The literary structure is intending to underscore the connection between condition and consequence. So the basic idea here is if you internalize the wisdom being offered to you by your parents, it will deliver you from bad decisions, bad associations, and bad outcomes. That's the content or that's the message. The basic idea in terms of the structure is A leads to B as surely as X and Y lead to Z. That's the sort of poetic reinforcement that's being used here. Now, if we were to try that in English, that would simply mean having all the conditional statements start with A and X and Y, and then having all the consequence statements start with B and Z. Unfortunately, there aren't a lot of words in English that start with X, so that would be very difficult, but that's the general idea. And of course, that would only work in America where they pronounce Z as Z. It wouldn't work in Britain or Canada where we pronounce Z actually as Z. That's how complicated language is. Poetry has a hard time crossing the land border between Canada and America, let alone the 3,000 years and many thousands of miles and kilometers we're dealing with here. Regardless, the meaning in this poem is pretty accessible. The father is trying to communicate to the son that the decisions made in adolescence with respect to attention and authority accurately predict consequences and outcomes that will be experienced later in life. Understanding that is wisdom. That was true in Solomon's day, and that remains true in our day as well. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it 
as for hidden treasures. So the first stanza after the address, my son, begins with the word if, as in, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments. That clause begins with Aleph, helping us identify this as the first conditional stanza. So Bruce Walkie says here, this structure, he's referring to the poetic structure, this structure reflects the nature of wisdom, namely the right deed and successful destiny nexus, closed quote. There is a connection between certain actions and certain outcomes. Understanding that is the essence of wisdom. And helping children see that is one of the primary challenges faced by parents. We want our children to understand that if you run away from mommy, you might get hit by a car. If you stick your finger in an electrical socket, you might get a nasty shock. Certain actions are associated with certain outcomes. And so here, the father takes us to the most basic nexus of all, the connection between attending to the instructions and counsel of your parents and seeking out wisdom and understanding on the one side with positive life outcomes on the other side. That's the basic idea here. He's saying, if you listen to the instruction of your parents and if you make a habit of seeking out wise counsel and knowledge, then certain outcomes may be expected. And we begin to get into those outcomes now beginning in verse 5. If you do what I've commanded you, the Father says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Verse 5 is actually very interesting. It seems to indicate that the path of listening to your parents eventually leads to the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. Certainly most reformers made that kind of connection. They understood that we learn to honor the Lord, as it were, by practicing honor for parents. A child who never learns to listen to mom and dad is unlikely to rest easy under the sovereignty of Almighty God. These things are connected. Children need to be taught, and even more so, they need to experience the connection between trusting and obeying mom and dad with positive life outcomes. This will pave the way for their faith and trust in God later on in life. That seems to be the general principle. And of course, that's a warning, I think, to mom and dad. If children don't make that connection, that I mean, that could be because of stubbornness on their part, but it could also be because of negligence on our part. Bad parenting is going to make it harder for children to trust in the Lord later on. And there's probably something in there for pastors, too. We may need to be more patient with poorly parented people. They're going to have a harder time resting under the leadership and lordship of Jesus. They may need a longer on-ramp. So expectations and timelines may need to be adjusted. Verse 6 is interesting as well. It seems to be saying that while it is good and prudent to pursue wisdom and understanding, such things are ultimately the gift of God. He gives to those who pursue. That's fascinating. He he doesn't give to the indifferent, and the industrious don't find it on their own. Rather, the text says he gives to those who diligently search. That seems to be the idea. And of course, that's very similar to what we see in the New Testament. 
In Philippians 2, 12 to 13, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So there, Paul tells his people to work out their own salvation. But then he goes right on to say, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Tremper Longman III helps us understand what's being commended here. He says, we are to work hard at our salvation, but ultimately we must recognize that salvation is a gift of God's grace and thank him for it, close quote. I think that's exactly right. Old Testament and new, we need to work, we need to strive, we need to pursue. But ultimately, it is God who gives, and it is ours to receive and give thanks. There is a warrant for effort here, but definitely not for pride. So we are to search and to strive and to seek after wisdom and godly counsel our whole lives long, and the consequence or outcome that is associated with that condition is the gift of wisdom and the assurance that we are walking on the prudent and protected path. Bruce Walkie again, is helpful here. He says, these paths are protected in such a way that those on them arrive at their appointed destiny of eternal life, closed quote. So to be clear, the Bible is not promising here that you will never get cancer or experience fraud or fall down the stairs if you walk this path. Rather, it is saying, that if you walk on the path of obedience, faith, and wisdom, at the end of the day, you really have nothing to fear. There may be ups and downs. There may be twists and turns in your life. But the end of this path is life in the Lord, and God will make sure of that. A further cluster of positive consequences is discussed in verses 9 to 11. If you listen to your parents and make a lifelong habit of pursuing wisdom and godly instruction, then... You will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. So here the father is saying that if the son walks the path that he is setting him on and truly internalizes the wisdom and instruction that he's being given, eventually he'll be able to instinctively make good decisions on his own. He will know every good path. Every time he comes to a decision point in his life, he will know whether to turn right or left. He will have internal wisdom GPS. He won't get lost, for wisdom will live in his heart. Train your heart to love wisdom and godly instruction, and those things will take up residence inside you and lead you home. Making good choices will eventually become a matter of instinct as opposed to discipline and self-will. I love how Derek Kidner puts it. He says, Wisdom and knowledge, when they become your own way of thinking and your acquired taste, will make the talk and interests of evil men alien to you. Closed quote. I like that. Once you've internalized the voice of wisdom and godly counsel, when evil options are presented to you, they won't have to be forcibly resisted because they will appear distasteful to you. You will have learned to love better things. Now, of course, when we transpose all of that into a New Testament key, it takes on additional force and specificity. In the New Testament, Jesus promises his disciples the internal guidance of the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of Jesus, 
who is the wisdom of God. So in a New Testament key, we might say, train yourself to love the Word of God and to trust the Son of God. And the Spirit of God will take up residence in your heart and will slowly but surely begin to change what you love and desire and by means of these better instincts lead you safely home. Praise the Lord. A further set of anticipated outcomes is outlined in verses 12 to 15. If you train your heart to obey your parents and trust in wise instruction, then you will find these things delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. In the New King James Version, you get a clearer sense of the underlying poetic structure. The NKJV has verse 12 as, to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. I mentioned earlier that to and so are often used to translate the Hebrew preposition le, which with an infinitive usually indicates the end or outcome of an action. So here. The underlying literary structure actually reinforces the message in the actual words of the text. A leads to B, X and Y lead to Z. The father is creatively saying that obeying parents and pursuing wisdom will have as its likely end or outcome deliverance from evil ways and evil people. When you take the wrong path, of course, you end up with the wrong people, you end up making bad choices, and you generally end up experiencing bad outcomes. That's The message, creatively crafted and forcefully delivered. A further cluster of outcomes is described in verses 16 to 19, again with the same underlying poetic structure to reinforce things. By obeying parents and pursuing godly wisdom, so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death, and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So again, the value of obeying mom and dad, the value of pursuing and then receiving godly wisdom, is that once that guidance system is internalized, you'll be able to steer clear of certain dangers, most notably here the danger of the forbidden woman whose house sinks down to death. Adultery in the Bible is held out as arguably the most dangerous of all second table sins. By second table, I mean those commandments having to do with how we relate to other human beings. First table commandments have to do with relating to God. Second table sins have to do, of course, with relating to others. And of those, few have more destructive potential than the sin of adultery. You may as well just swallow a hand grenade because adultery will blow up your life. That's what the Father is saying here. And let's just pause for a moment and remember who is speaking. This this isn't just some guy, some dad. This is Solomon, who was born to David and Bathsheba. Solomon had a front row seat for the fallout and trauma that David brought into his own life by reason of his adultery. Solomon watched his father lose moral authority. He watched the civil war that nearly cost him his life and that nearly cost David his kingdom. Solomon saw his family fall into absolute chaos. He watched one of his brothers murder another of his brothers. Solomon knew, maybe better than anyone, What happens to a family when dad decides to color outside the lines? 
sexually speaking. Don't do it, son. Learn wisdom now. Internalize that voice and let it guide you past the road that leads to ruin. For none who go down that road come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Adultery, sleeping with another person's wife, is an act of personal and familial suicide. If internalizing the voice of wisdom helps you avoid that, then you will have been generously and amply rewarded. That's what's being said here. A final set of outcomes is predicted in verses 20 to 22. If you listen to your parents and you internalize the voice of godly wisdom, so you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. This is the path that leads to everlasting happiness, the Father says. It may be narrow, it may be uphill, but if you persevere on it, then you will experience enduring, even eternal, happiness. For the upright will inherit the land, and those with integrity remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off, and the treacherous rooted out from it. Well, of course, that's exactly what Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel about the end of the age. In Matthew 13, verses 40 to 43, Jesus says, Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus and the wise father are on the same page here. They are both encouraging people to play the long game. The wicked path may look like a shortcut, but it is a road that leads to nowhere. Eventually, that path ends in the pit. But the wise road, the road of faith, obedience, and godly wisdom leads ever onwards, ever upwards into glory. Stay on that path. Choose it young. Walk it always, and do not turn to the left or to the right. This is the path of wisdom, son. This is the path of happiness. This is the path of life. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting a mission project that is very close to my heart. The Letha Daycare Outreach Project is a church-based educational program designed to teach literacy, support low-income families, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with boys and girls in rural South Africa. I've seen this project with my own eyes. I have shaken the hands of parents whose families have been helped. I have heard the songs and Bible verses out of the mouths of some of these dear children as they have been taught and helped to put their trust in the Lord. And nothing would be more gratifying to me than for you to show your appreciation for Into the Word by investing in these little ones. You can do that in one of two ways. You can give through the Into the Word app or by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. Just click on the Give tab and you'll find giving options for both Canadian and American listeners. 
This is a registered project with ABWE Canada and ABWE USA. So tax receipts are available to all eligible donors. Just identify where you're listening from and click on the fund button and select Letha Daycare Outreach. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet.